Hey, Pastor Zach here from the Grove Church, and I'm just excited that you are either streaming or have downloaded a sermon right here from TGC. Um, we're excited that you're here and just excited for you. I pray that it blesses you. But before we do get started, I just one thing I want to chat with you about. One thing I just want to really just plead with you that this would not replace you joining in with God's covenant people um, through the local church. I pray that this would be only supplemental to your growth in Christ and would in no way replace you joining regularly with God's people, sitting under your pastor and serving your brother and sister in Christ. And so if you're local to TGC, I just want to extend the invitation for you to come and join us. We're here every Sunday, 10 a.m., downtown Spruce Pine, right on Lower Street. We would absolutely love to have you. If you're not local, then I just ask and pray that you would find a local body of believers who love Jesus, preach the Bible, and is a place that you can both serve in and find community with. After all, this is God's plan to push back what's dark in the world. The local church is to be a light, and we pray that you would find that. I hope that this sermon blesses you. May God bless you as you listen to the proclamation of his word. Good morning, church. That was, that was really good. I kind of got on to you guys last week about not helping me out up here, and you guys shined through, so I appreciate that. Um, man, I'm just excited to hear this morning. Uh, really encouraging just to hear Billy speak again, um, and just what God's doing in Western North Carolina. Um, and so we're hopeful and expectant and uh, excited about what, what the Lord's doing. This is the, uh, the second week here. Uh, we're going through a series called Family Traits, and so uh, kind of the idea behind this series is that families have certain traits, right? So I spent probably too long talking about last week how my son likes to talk about poop um, and joke about poop, and uh, my wife really just believes that that's my fault, um, that it's like a trait of our family now that we joke about that. So, um, but even beyond the joking about that, uh, my son just looks like my other son. They just look like each other. So families have certain traits, and so what we wanted to dive into um, during this, uh, you know, kind of end of the summer series is just what, what, why the Grove? What, what do we do? What's, you know, what's our family like? Because we're a family. Families are messy. Families uh, are good. Families are there for each other. Families love each other. Families support each other. But they can get messy and, and things can get hurt. But like, what are the traits here at the Grove? And so last week we talked about that we exist to see God glorified and enjoyed. Um, and we talked about why that's a big deal for us, because it's a big deal in Scripture that, you know, we, we really see over and over and over again that all that the Lord does is for the sake of his glorious name, that he does everything for his, his namesake, that he does things for his glory, and why that's incredible news for us, and why we can enjoy him um, as we glorify him, and why that's good news. And so today we're going to talk about worship, and so we um, glorify God and we enjoy him through worship, and so we're going to talk about what worship is, and um, and we read, uh, or Adam read Romans 12, 1 and 2, and it really is a, does this incredible job Paul does talking to us about worship. But the reality is, kind of coupled with last week and this week, is we live in a culture that says everything's about us. That everything's about you, that your life is about you, that your life belongs to you, and that you can do with what you want. You should, you should, you should, you know, that, that's really what you should do. And, and this is how it works. Um, we, we, I mean, here's all the time, like, dads, you tell your daughters that they're the prettiest girl in the world. But what that starts to foster is this, the world, it's about you. You're the prettiest girl in the world. Um, it's the reason why I think we have those really funny parts of, like, American Idol, where someone gets up there to sing, and they're just horrible. They sound like a dying animal, or an animal giving birth. There's kind of a fine line between those two sounds, and they sound like one or the other, because their mom told them 
you're awesome. You sound incredible. You should definitely pursue singing. And they did, and they shouldn't have. And, and so next week, we'll, we'll use a similar illustration to talk about why community is important, because hopefully we have people in our life to tell us the truth and be like, no, you can't sing. You don't. You shouldn't go on American Idol at all. Um, those guys will rip you to shreds. So but our life is all about us, and this works out even more practically in our lives. So not all of us are going to go into on into American Idol and, and make a fool of ourselves, but we have this idea in our culture like, hey, you know what, you don't like, you don't like the way you look, you don't like your body, hey, here's, here's some things for that. You can try CrossFit. Oh, you, you like your hips too much. Why don't you try uh, Jazzercise or Zumba or something or, or Yoga Lotties or whatever, whatever it is. Like there's a, you don't like exercise? Hey, here's a pill. You don't have to exercise. Here's a shake. Drink this shake. You know, and we, it, on and on, we could talk about, oh, you don't like your job. You don't like the way your boss treats you. Here's another job for you. You need, to make, you need to make sure you're happy and love what you do. So here, go find something else. You don't like your house. Things are kind of cramped. Hey, you know, you can, take out, you can take out a loan, build an addition. You don't like your car, makes you feel small like and poor. Hey, here's a payment plan. Get a new truck. Make yourself feel good. Our life, we live in this culture where your life is about you, that your life belongs to you. And scripture is going to really contradict that. And so we can go on and on, but we, we, all of us are worshipers. Everyone in the world is a worshiper. It, the, the reality is, is not everyone truly worships, but everyone worships. Everyone worships something. And a lot of us, these, uh, us as, and I speak for myself, self-indulgers, we worship ourselves. You know, Romans, earlier in Romans, Paul would say that, you know, oftentimes that people, or all the time, people have worshipped creation instead of the creator. And so we do that, and we, it, it falls on ourselves, and so we worship ourselves, we're self-indulging in, in people, and uh, the problem with that is that it never really quite satisfies. You get that new job, and it still just doesn't feel like enough. You build that addition on your house, you buy the bigger, better house, and it still just doesn't, it doesn't feel like enough. Now, it might for a time. Like that new house, that new car, it smells good for a, a while. And you can keep buying the air fresheners, make it smell good for longer, but it, it just it starts to wear off. And that's the problem is we're never quite satisfied. C.S. Lewis, in one of his essays, would say it this way, and I'm going to read it so I don't mess it up. But it says, most people, if they have really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that what they do want and, what, what, uh, and, w- and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or think of some foreign country or take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. There is something we grasped at in, the fr- in that first moment of longing which just fades away in the, real- in the reality. The wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent, and chemistry may have been an f- interesting job, but something that the thing we thought would be at the center of it all has evaded o- us. You see, if this mantra of worship is all about you, this in our culture is like, hey, life is about you. Go do what you want. Have what you want. Get what you want. Take what you want. Those things just don't satisfy, and I have to believe that even our culture understands this a little bit, like in the deepest longings of their heart, they know these things don't satisfy. You, we, know that these things don't satisfy us. If we would take a step back and just look at our life for a second, we'd realize that these things we keep pouring into our life never fulfill that longing we have, that, that hope that we have of something better, something greater. We see this play out all the time, though. You see, uh, you know, really lately the, the celebrity world has been rocked by suicide. 
these celebrities who have all the stuff that the world says you should get, you should take, just depressed and, and, and hopeless. And we see that in our own lives where we just keep chasing things and chasing things. And so some, and, and, and so we make, we, uh, we worship things that weren't meant to be worshiped, and those things don't hold up to the weight and the pressure that we put on those things. Worshiping things that God has created, and even good gifts, will destroy those things. God has given us so much good stuff, but when we start to worship those things, it crushes them. So worshiping your spouse and making your spouse the center of your life begins to crush them. Men, like, if you, if you look to your wife to fulfill the longings of your heart and to complete you and make you feel good, you will crush her with those expectations. She's not going to live up to them, and you will crush her. Your kids, man, your kids you will just destroy when you try and live through them and, and worship them and, and hope that they will fulfill some longing that you never made it, you know, into pro football, and so you're going to spend all this time, money, and energy making your kid the best football player in the world. Like, that's going to crush your kid. These things weren't meant to fulfill that longing, and so we chase after these things. We even make sacrifices for the things that we worship. Some of you are absolutely willing to sacrifice to great lengths to get what you want. I mean, you want a certain kind of body, you'll wake up early, you'll sacrifice your time, your money, you'll buy those really expensive shakes, you'll, you'll buy the pills, you do all this stuff to make the sacrifices you want. You want a certain house, you're going to set aside this money, you're going to make these sacrifices, this time. And you, so we all sacrifice for what we worship. So the question is, how do we live a life of worship as disciples of Jesus Christ? Like, how do we actually do this? Like, where do, how does this play out? Because it sounds like a daunting task. Like, living a life of worship is important. Because here's the thing, when we, when we look at what Paul says here, we'll read it again, worship might be a little bit different than what we're taught in the mountains. And it is a daunting task. And so Romans 12, 1 and 2, I want to read again. So we really get this in us. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that, may, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so Paul is saying, I appeal to you, therefore, so Paul spends the first 11 chapters of Romans, a lot like all of his letters, really just explaining doctrine, explaining theology, and, and what we believe, who God is, and what God has done for us. Um, and so he spends the first 11 chapters explaining God's goodness, his graciousness, our sin, our state, and what he has done in Christ. And then he says, therefore, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so the reality of the, first two ch uh, uh, of the first two verses of chapter 12 is an invitation for us to offer up our entire lives to God. Our entire lives. See, we often think worship is this thing we do on Sunday. Like Billy said, like we give our Sundays to God and then Monday's ours. We often think that Sunday is this time of worship and the rest of the week is, is void of that or it's, it's separated from that. This week we had an opportunity to, to talk with someone online a little bit who uh, shared their opinion that our church was more like a social gathering than a worship service or, or, or a place to worship God. Um, and that was a really telling thing of our community is that social gatherings is not part of worshiping the Lord. The community is not a part of worshiping the Lord, but this hour on Sundays is that's where we worship the Lord. And, I, and, and my wife talking to this, this woman, um, you know, my wife is way better at responding um, in the moment than I am. 
And so, so she responded to this woman, and it was, it was this uh, opportunity just to share with her how we worship the Lord and all we do. Um, and we worship the Lord as we hang out with our friends. We worship the Lord as we go to work. We worship the Lord as we drink coffee before we sit down and hear the word and, and, and have communion and go to the Lord's table. We do these things, and it's still worship. Um, and, and, the, and the reply that came next was, was really where I was like, this is God's providence. This is the perfect illustration for tomorrow. Um, was that, oh, no, we have a fellowship hall for that. And I was just like, okay, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Is that there's this one room in your church where worship takes place, and there's another room where everything else takes place. That's not worship. And we, we've separated worship from our entire lives. What Paul's saying here is offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, your entire bodies. And, and earlier in, in, in uh, Romans 6, 19, he's going to say, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. He's saying, offer up your entire lives, your entire bodies, your members, your hands, your feet, your nose, your mouth. Offer up your entire body to God as a living sacrifice. Your entire life. He wants all of it. God's not after your money. He's not after your time. He's not after your brain. He's after you. He wants all of you. And this living sacrifice. And so I love, I love in Romans 6 where he says, you know, as you once were slaves to righteousness, you offered your members, your body as slaves to sin, to unrighteousness, to lawlessness. With that same zeal that you chase sin, now chase the Lord. Now offer in Lord. Like, like some, we go to great lengths to sin sometimes. We really do. Like, man, when we, when we think about things like men struggle with pornography, it's not just men struggle, but when we think about men struggle with pornography, we will go to great lengths to create environments and where we can look at pornography safely without getting caught. We go to great lengths for that. Now, what if we took that logic, that great lengths, and we, instead of offering up that to lawlessness, we offer that to God. We went to great lengths of setting up times and environments where we can worship the Lord, where we can serve the Lord, where we can be gracious to other people and serve other people. Like that, that's what Paul's talking about. That same zeal that you've chased sin, now chase, you're free to chase the Lord. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 is this invitation to offer your entire life, to, to walk in the freedom of Christ and, and, the, and the way in which you used to chase sin, now chase him. That's gospel-saturated, gospel-centered worship that we offer our lives. And we can't miss this because we, we've been trained to compartmentalize our time. We've been trained to compartmentalize our weeks where we worship God one day and the rest of the week is for us. And I don't want to get away, I don't want you to walk away thinking that what we're doing here is not worship. It's absolutely an expression of worship. When we sing together after hearing God's word proclaimed, that's absolutely an expression of worship. But that's not the totality of what worship is. And you go to work and you work hard and that is, you work under the Lord and that is worship. You, you open up your home to strangers and you invite them in, you tell them about the goodness of God. And that is an act of worship. God wants our whole life 24-7 to be disciples for, for him. So what does offering our bodies as sacrifices to God look like? Like, it's kind of a weird saying, right? Like, the idea of sacrifice we have on our head, like this altar, and like, you know, I, the last thing I want you guys to do is, like, build an altar at home and, like, crawl up on it and lay there and be like, God, I'm, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm trying to do the, your word. I'm trying to figure this out. No, but he's, he gives us, he doesn't just leave us there. He helps us. He gives us exactly what we need to understand what a sacrifice is. He says it's living, holy, and acceptable, or holy and pleasing. And so living, it says our sacrifice is, is to be a living sacrifice. Now, I know this may seem obvious, 
But back in the day when they did sacrifices, they all, that always in, involved killing something. There would be someone, a worshiper would offer up an animal, the animal would be killed, the blood would be poured on the altar, and the, and the body burned, and that was the sacrifice. And so Paul here is making a really important distinction that you are to have to be a living sacrifice. Paul is really saying um, what he goes over in 2 Corinthians 5, that our bodies no longer belong to us, they've been purchased with a price, that they are the Lord's and a temple for the Holy Spirit. Like, our bodies are no longer us, we are a living sacrifice. We don't die to worship God, but we live to worship God. Now, there are elements of, of self-denial and, 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 and death in Christ, and, uh, and, or death in our sin, and, and, and Christ raising us from the dead, but it's this living. Our role now is to live to the glory of God in everything we do. That's a living sacrifice. Our entire life, our entire bodies being given unto the Lord for his glory. The second thing Paul says is they are, it's to be a holy sacrifice. Our offerings to God, are, is our lives are to be set apart. Holiness is, is a really important thing that I think oftentimes we don't talk about um, well enough. Uh, and I'm talking about myself specifically here at the Grove. And, and so, you know, uh, going through uh, R.C. Sproul's Holiness of God is this incredible book. Uh, I'd recommend it to everyone. But, but one of the things he points out in there that just every time I read this book I just love is that, you know, God's, God's holiness is the only attribute that's raised to the third degree. God's not merciful, merciful, merciful. He's not gracious, gracious, gracious. God is holy, holy, holy. And if, some, if God is something three times, it's something we ought to understand. And so this idea of holiness for us is to be set apart. It's that our life is to be set apart. And all too often, my life isn't set apart. My life looks a lot like those around me in the world. I enjoy the same things. I, I mean, I, I chase after the same things. My life, so often, if I'm honest, with my cards on the table, my life looks a lot like a lot of other people's who aren't Christians. And so our life, our sacrifice, offering up our body, is to be set apart for Christ. To be set apart, we should look different. We should be, you know, different things should excite us. They don't, I, I, but I like what the world has to offer. I like the toys and the trinkets, the shiny things that I can buy. But our world should look different. Our world as Christians, our lives should look different. We should offer up our members, our mouths, our ears unto the Lord. We should open up our mouths, and it shouldn't just be like the same stuff coming out as the world, but it should be God's praises, and we should open up our mouths to speak the goodness of God to those around us. We should, our feet should take us to different places than those of the world. Our feet should take us to places where the gospel is not, and that we may preach the gospel and share God's goodness, and our ears should be listening to different things than, the, than those, around our, uh, those around us. We should be set apart. Set apart. Our lives should look different. We think about things differently than the world. And lastly, it's pleasing. Paul just said that this would be acceptable to God. This is what's pleasing to God. If you and I are to live our lives in a way that's a living sacrifice and holy, it is pleasing, acceptable to God. It's a sweet aroma to our Lord. And that's an incredible thing. I think oftentimes we get in this, we get kind of paralyzed and like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what God's will is. I'm just not going to do anything. But Paul says, no, like, you just offer your body as a living sacrifice. Everything you do, you do for the glory of God. You worship him in all that you do. You, you set yourself apart, your life apart for God, and that's acceptable. We don't have to worry about these, these decisions we always have to make about where am I going to work, where am I going to do this. We, we, we look through the lens of what's going to bring God glory. Where, where can I bring glory to God? And so maybe 
you don't leave your job for a job that you like more because you're bringing, you, you have this opportunity to glorify God where you are. And that's acceptable to God. That's pleasing to God. We can know that good, perfect, acceptable will of God by glorifying him in all that we do, by living our lives as a sacrifice. God wants our entire bodies. He wants all of it. Our frame, God wants everything, our thoughts, your affections, your motivations, your life, your actions, everything. And Jesus came and really just turned everything upside down. They thought God wanted the outside. God wanted me to look clean, to be a certain way. And Christ over and over and over again talked about, no, like the heart. Like Jesus would say um, that, you know, with your mouths you praise me, but your hearts are far from me. Like God wants everything. Like your motivations even matter. Like the reason why you do things matter. He wants all of it. Your entire life. And that can be daunting. So what's the motivation for this? Right? What's the motivation for today? Well, Paul tells us. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. The reason why we can do this, the reason why we should do this is because of how good God has been to us. Paul spent 11 chapters talking about the goodness of God and Jesus Christ. The greatness of our Lord and his sacrifice for us. And because of his sacrifice and his death, we can live as a sacrifice for him. And so everything comes down to this motivation of, of because God has, has given us so much that he hasn't spared his only son, we can give everything to him. We don't have to hold things back. We don't have to, you know, try and be safe in our lives. We can be bold and we can take risks and really live our lives for the glory of God. I was reminded this week just kind of listening to some sermons that, you know, oftentimes we, we look in the New Testament, we see this, this power of God come on these people's lives. Like Paul lived in a power that few of any of us really understand. And I wonder if that's because we're not bold enough to take risks with our lives. Bold enough to take risks. Man, so I, I got to hang out with Billy and, 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 and I'm, I don't, I didn't ask a lot of questions. I want to butcher this. But you have a family that moved from Missouri with you to a place they'd never really been. No jobs. I mean, just think about this for a second. You're living in Spruce Pine. You hear about a town in western North Dakota, because that's probably how West North Carolina sounds to a lot of people outside, that doesn't have the gospel, that like really just churches have kind of turned on themselves and aren't for the city, and just really, there's, there's a need for a gospel-centered, gospel-proclaiming, Jesus-centered church. And so one of your friends is going, you're like, you know what, I have good jobs, I have a good place to live, I'm going to give all that up to go. I just feel called that the Lord would have me go, and, and my life would just be wrung out in Western North, North Dakota for the glory of God, for the gospel, that souls might be saved, that people might turn from their ways and turn to Christ and glorify him and enjoy him forever. Like, think about that for a second. Like, we don't take risks, and so we don't see God's power in our lives because we, don't, we live in such a way we don't need it. But what if we took risks with our lives? What if we opened up our home to people who don't share the same beliefs as us? who don't take Christ as seriously as we did. And so fellowship's an incredible thing. We'll talk about community next week, and fellowship's awesome, but hospitality's different. Hospitality has that idea that we don't believe the same thing, but I still invite you into my life, invite you into my home. What if we took risks like that? What if some of us take risks and we do go off to a church plant somewhere else, outside of our home where we grew up, leaving our jobs behind? 
What if we took risks in our life? What if we opened up our mouth and actually shared about Jesus to people around us? And if, if we just believe if we took risks, if we offered up our bodies as a living sacrifice and took some of these risks, I wonder what God would do. I really believe that he would show up and we'd see something that maybe we don't see every day because we don't take those risks. We aren't bold, but you can be bold. And you, you, you read the New Testament, you can be bold. You can stand before kings and share the gospel, not afraid of your life. But you can be bold and take risks. And so man, I just wonder what the, the community of faith at the Grove Church would look like if our entire lives became lives of worship for Tim. Not just Sunday mornings, not just Wednesday nights at home group, but our entire lives were filtered to this idea that I'm going to worship the Lord in all that I do. My new job, I'm taking this new job, I'm going to worship the Lord there. I, I'm having kids, my, you know, me having kids isn't about me, it's about worshiping the Lord. Like these, these things aren't about me. I don't have a job for me, I have a job for the Lord. And then we filter everything through that lens of our entire life is about Him. Everything. What would it look like? Like how would that affect our community? What would that, I mean, we've, we've grown so much in the last year as a church, or last year and a half, you know, 13 people in our living room to, to, where, to where we are now. It's, it's incredible, but we have this uh, thing where, we, you know, church, all churches, but us here too, are, we're not exempt from it. We start to lean towards consumerism, and we start to lean, so I'm going to come, and I'm going to get what I want from church and go home and, and, and be energized and good for a day or two. But what if, what if we offered up our bodies and our members? And there are a lot of, I don't want to hear me saying, like, because there are a lot of us who do a really great job at that. A young lady last night, like, came here, just to clean the church so that it wouldn't have uh, um, dust, drywall dust all over the place from where we're building this room. Like, that's just this incredible thing. We have people who sacrifice their time to meet with others and to pray for others. And I mean, like, we do a good job, but what, what, if, what if all of us turned from ourselves and turned to one another and turned to the Lord and just lived our lives for other people? What if, men, you lived your lives for your wife and for your kids and not for your own self-interest? What, what if you didn't expect so much out of everyone else and you lived your life for them instead of expecting them to come to you? Like, what, what if you did that at your job? What if you did that in your community? What if you did that where you play ball? What if you did that where you work out? Like, you just started living your life through this lens of everything I do is to worship the Lord. The, the last thing I'll, I want to kind of go through briefly and then maybe say a few things and then we'll close. But something I heard this week which I thought was just awesome is we need to be consider. Or we need to consider and be careful to not confuse inconvenience with sacrifice. Inconvenience is this idea that like an, an internal or external pressure has caused me uh, inconvenience, has caused me you know, a period of grief, or has taken something from me that I want, disrupted your personal com uh, comfort. But sacrifice is an act, an intentional act of giving up something valued for the sake of something regarded as more valuable. I think sometimes we think, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake up early and read my Bible for, for 10 minutes. We think that's like the sacrifice. And I, I wonder if that's just more of an inconvenience because all you really did was disrupt your sleep. But what if a sacrifice is something, a more intentional act of trading something that's, that's valuable to you, your time, your money, your, your, um, your resources, your happiness, your comfort, for something that's more valuable, something that's more valued, the glory of the Lord. 
Sacrifice and inconvenience are not the same thing. Yet I think oftentimes we think we're living a sacrificial life, and maybe we're not. Maybe we're just inconvenienced and annoyed with the things that are happening around us. We're not actually intentionally laying our lives down for the sake of others. And so it's with this motivation that we live this life of sacrifice. It's with this motivation of God's mercies, knowing that it's for his glory that we live this life, this sacrificial life of worship. Because prior to God's mercies, we were dead in our sin. But because of Christ, we're alive. And it's because of that that we're able to do this. And so what we do here at the Grove is we, um, after we uh, hear God's word, we, we sing in response, and we praise the Lord, and we come up to the table, and we um, you know, come to the Lord's table, and we take communion, and we remember God's sacrifice. And, and, and the reason we do this, and I share this often, but the reason we do this every week is because that really is so important to remember that this is our motivation for all that we do. Because this could easily start to sound like some sort of performance game where if I, I just, I gotta work hard, I gotta do these things for the Lord, I gotta do these things, this is what he wants from me. And yes, it's what he wants from you. But it's not that you would earn his favor. It's not that you'd earn his grace because you can't earn something that he's freely given. And he's freely given that in Christ. He's freely given all, I mean, like you, like you get to be alive in Christ and be a brother. Like Christ is the firstborn of many brothers. Like we get to be heirs with Christ. He's given all the things to us. And so we can't earn that from him. Just as much as like your kids can't earn your love, you can't earn the love of God the Father. And so this response, this life of sacrifice, this life of living for God in all that we do, and not compartmentalizing our life and saying, well, God, you can touch my Sundays, but you can't touch my Tuesday night basketball or my Saturday this or my work. Like, like you can touch anything you want, but you can't touch my kids. My kids are going to be a certain way. They're going to live a certain way. They're going to play a certain ball. They're going to do this. But we worship God in everything. We give all that we have to him, our money, our houses, everything. We do that because of what he's given us. And so as we sing, I'll, I'll close and pray, but as we sing, um, if, you're, if you're a believer here today and you, you're a disciple of Christ and you are a follower of Christ, I just want to welcome you to the Lord's table. Come and remember all that he's done for you. Remember all that Christ has done on the cross, that he's made you alive again. And we had a beautiful picture yesterday, or last Sunday with two baptisms. Um, it was just amazing, and hearing those stories was just amazing. And so, man, just, just come, eat, and drink, and remember that the, this bread is the symbol of Christ's body that was broken for you, and this blood was poured out for you, that you might be clean, that though you are sin and you are guilty, God declares you not guilty as a follower of Christ. And if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Christ, you know, we would just ask that you wouldn't come and come to the table. This, this isn't for you. This doesn't make any sense for you. This isn't something that you've partaken in, so please don't partake in it. But I would have you consider this, that man, realize all that God has done for you in Christ and what he wants to do for you in Christ. And that without Christ, you're dead in your set trespasses. You have chosen rebellion against the king of the universe, the king of all creation. And while even right now you're an enemy to God, he, Christ died for you. That he died to save you, he died to forgive you. And that, that, that the response to that kind of mercy and grace is to repent and to believe, to turn from your sin and to turn to him, to follow Jesus and to believe and to trust in Jesus for your salvation. And that response is available to you 
in Christ, that he was resurrected and he brings life now that we're dead. And so I pray that you would consider that um, and I'll pray for us and then we'll close with a couple songs. Father, I just come before you, Lord, just so uh, humbled by your word, God. Um, Lord, I pray for our church, Lord, that we would live our life as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice for you, that all of our life would be a life of worship, that what we do here on Sundays is absolutely worship. We would go home and we'd continue to worship the Lord as we serve our spouses, as we serve our kids. We would continue to worship the Lord as we go to work and as we make disciples and we open up our homes and as we play ball and enjoy the life that you've given us, that it would, it would just terminate on worship of you, the creator and giver of all things. I pray that our church would be marked by worship, would be marked by, by sacrifice for you, God, and all that we do. I pray that we'd worship in spirit, we'd worship in truth. Lord, and I, I, as we sing here today as a congregation, as we come to the table and remember what you've done for us, we just pray that that would be holy and acceptable to you, Lord, that it would be a sweet aroma. Our songs would be this aroma to you, God. I love you, Father. I'm thankful for all that you're doing in West North Carolina and all you're doing in Spruce Pine and Asheville and Morganton, Lord. And we're encouraged by other churches and other brothers um, and sisters, Lord. So we pray um, that you would just be with us during this time. Um, and we love you. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.